Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. This week, we're turning The Dose over to you. We asked you to send us your questions on COVID-19 vaccines, and wow, you delivered lots of really smart questions. Many of you also sent your questions to the Ask CBC News COVID at cbc.ca account. We're answering as many of those as we can today as well. And I can't think of anyone better than my guest today to help us provide those answers, Dr. Zane Chagla is an associate professor of medicine at McMaster University and an infectious disease specialist for St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton, Ontario. Zane, welcome back to The Dose. Oh, thanks for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure and a, and a very important subject. Uh, let's start with the big news of the week. Uh, Canada's mm. National Advisory Committee on Immunization, or NACI, recommended halting the administration of the AstraZeneca vaccine for those younger than 55. Uh, Janice DeCoste emailed us to ask a very simple question. Why is it now no longer indicated for people under the age of 55? So when this was being rolled out in the European Union, there was this signal towards a risk of blood clots, but particularly young people with more than just the typical blood clots that you would see in the emergency room. Uh, and unfortunately, some of them actually passed away because of this. And so the initial data that was released from this issue of these atypical blood clots and syndrome that we're now calling uh, VIPIT, vaccine-induced prothrombotic immune thrombocytopenia, seem to be predominantly women between the ages of 20 to 55. The absolute risk at about uh, one in a million, although the German data suggests one in 100,000. And so when you start taking that into the context of the risk-benefit discussion around vaccines, especially in the context of us being fortunate in Canada to have other vaccines on the market, we start saying, well, you know, one in 100,000, the risk of death from COVID-19 in someone that's young is about two in 10,000. So you're starting to get into that same magnitude of risk uh, of natural COVID-19 and complications as compared to uh, the vaccine and its complication. And there's a signal that maybe being on a birth control pill might increase the risk? It might. Again, you know, this is, it, it, it's hard to pull out because again, these numbers are still small. We're talking about 29 in 3 million uh, that were described in Germany. You know, if we're talking about young women being at risk, you know, part of that is going to be young women are typically on the birth control pill. And again, whether or not that's attributable risk is really, really hard to determine in these numbers. But, you know, we know birth control increases the risk of blood clotting. Uh, and so, you know, potentially this could be one of the factors involved. I'm going to combine a couple of questions here because this is certainly this whole issue, which has exploded, is on the minds of people who got the vaccine. So so I'm going to ask, like, how concerned should people uh, under the age of 55 who got the AstraZeneca vaccine before NACI changed its recommendation be? Uh, and and related to that, there's a follow up question from Nicole M. who asks if you're going to get blood clots, 
after this vaccine, when would they occur? So, so I guess what I'm asking is, when will those people who got the, va- the AstraZeneca vaccine who happen to be under the age of 55 know that they're in the clear? Yeah, so the the initial stuff that was released around this and from from Germany was that these reactions occurred between day four and day 20 after vaccine. No cases were described after day 20. Uh, And again, they seem to be relatively early uh, after getting the vaccine. The thing that people need to watch out for in that day four to 20 are uh, bruising or bleeding easily, especially on the skin, uh, chest pain, leg swelling, abdominal pain and a headache that is really unrelenting. If they are, you know, experiencing those symptoms, particularly day four after the vaccine, that is an indication to seek medical help. On the one hand, we've got this rare side effect. You've said it's quite rare, could be anywhere from one in a hundred thousand to one in a million. How do we balance that tiny risk against the risk of getting and dying of COVID during the third wave? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point, right? And and I think this is where we struggle. We obviously want a vaccine campaign that protects all of us, that protects the most vulnerable, but gives us the best chance of going back to normal and ending this public health emergency. But we have to recognize that these aren't just benign side effects. You know, if this was a rash that was 14 days later that went away with a bit of Benadryl and everyone was fine afterwards, we'd accept that risk in in the context of this. There were people, unfortunately, with this vipid reaction that succumbed to their illness. And, you know, again, we really do have to put that into perspective. Um, Right now, I think we want to make sure that the vaccine campaign is safe that the right vaccines are going to people and all adverse events are mitigated for as many people as possible. We do not want people dying of a vaccine-induced side effect when it could have been prevented by giving another vaccine. Well, we've got some very astute uh, subscribers, which is why you should subscribe to The Dose if you want to <laughs> be in such great company. But but sticking with the AstraZeneca vaccine for a bit, because we did get a lot of questions about it, Barb wrote expressing an opinion as much as a question Uh, quote, the idea that the AstraZeneca vaccine might be dangerous for those under 55, but but safe for anyone older is ludicrous. Uh, If it's dangerous for the younger age group, then it's dangerous for all of us. So, Zane, what do you say to Barb's concern? Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting. It really does seem like this is a disease of of young individuals and particularly female individuals. Um, You know, again, there's been no case described over the age of 50. And I think there's only very few cases between 40 and 50. It really does seem like a younger disease. And I think there's a little bit of proof of principle here. This vaccine was given to a huge number of individuals in the United Kingdom as part of the initial rollout. United Kingdom was the first country to approve AstraZeneca. They saw five cases amongst 11 million individuals that were vaccinated with uh, with this vaccine when looking back. And the reason likely is because it was given to an older cohort there. They started giving it to everyone and anyone that needed to be vaccinated over the age of 90, 80, 70, 60 as part of their rollout. And they didn't see a lot of this issue. Yes, it showed up, but it was not as as high as what's showing up in other European countries where they've actually pivoted it into lower populations, lower age populations, because of some of the issues about the higher age populations. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I think we'll learn more physiologically of why is this the case. But looking at the data, it seems to be the case. And, And again, you know, once we get a mechanism, I think we can explain it a little bit more. Uh, We have uh, this question from Stephen Robinson, who emailed us. I'm 60, 
had my first dose uh, two weeks ago, uh, the AstraZeneca dose. Will this vaccine still be around so I can get the second dose? Do I want a second dose? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we do have a supply of 20 million. It's one that's easy to store. Uh, so I think we will likely will have some around for people with the second doses. I think the big issue is who gets a second dose. And as we identify what the risk factors are for this uh, Vipit syndrome, you know, not giving it to people with risk factors and then just making sure that people who don't have risk factors do get their second dose. So I, I believe there's a supply. And again, we'll likely get part of our 20 million supply given that again there's more hesitancy about this vaccine i'm i'm assuming there's going to be a lot of supply left over for people to get their second doses on time we also had questions about mixing and matching vaccines Mm -hmm. Uh, mary c wrote i'm a 61 year old woman who had one shot of the astrazeneca vaccine given today's news or given given the, the current news i don't want a second shot is it safe for me to restart my vaccination regime and begin with one dose of pfizer followed by a second dose of pfizer or should i just get one dose of pfizer yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think we're actually going to get this data from some of the U.S., so the U.K. mixing trials, where they actually just started by giving one person one dose of one and one dose of another and seeing what happens. Those trials are now probably in their third month of enrollment. So we'll likely start seeing data before that 12-month or 12-week interval where you have to get your second dose. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned. You know, we'll either figure out who needs to get their second dose and who's at low risk of this VIPIT reaction. Plus, again, we'll, we'll have a better sense of what's the optimal pathway to give people AstraZeneca and another dose of other vaccine. And it's also fair to say right now that there's no hurry. The chances mm-hmm. are if you got the AstraZeneca vaccine, you got it very recently, which means you've got a lot of time to wait. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you get 70% efficacy. The data from Scotland is a 94% reduction in hospitalizations up till uh, past day 28. Um, You know, you're deriving benefit from getting this vaccine working in your system now. And so there's not a rush to get another dose until we figure out what the appropriate strategy is moving forward. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back in a moment. Okay, now on to some more general questions about COVID vaccination and questions about other vaccines. Nora Shaughnessy emailed us asking, let's say grandparents have had one dose. Can they see their Mm -hmm. grandkids? This is a tough question. You know, we're learning more about what a first dose looks like, but we are seeing a reduction in symptomatic COVID-19. Um, depending on the age groups in, in younger individuals, we're seeing up to 80% protection with the first dose. In older individuals, it's slightly less. We're seeing a reduction in hospitalizations, you know, up to 50-60%, especially in high-risk individuals in the United Kingdom, uh, and decreases in deaths in high-risk individuals. But it's not zero. And I think, you know, the question is Pfizer with a two-dose series seems to give you a significant amount of protection from even getting infected, a significant amount of protection from hospitalization and death, where this becomes a really negligible risk. One dose, you know, you're still seeing numbers break through in each category. And so if your grandkid is infected, you know, how much protection are you going to derive from that exposure? How much protection is going to spill over for you to prevent you from dying? Uh, Right now, it's hard to make that decision. And I think everyone has to take the risk tolerance in mind. You know, a brief hug is probably not the highest risk interaction. But, you know, if there's a risk of transmission there, we have to be prepared that there is a risk of getting COVID-19. There's a risk of hospitalization and risk of death, even with a single dose on board. It's lower, but it's not zero in that sense. You know, the full dose strategy, I think we, we do have guidance from the CDC that people who are fully vaccinated can interact together. And if you've had a full dose series, that if you're around people 
people that are at low risk of complications, you can still interact with them closely in that context. So, you know, again, one dose is a little bit trickier right now. Two doses seems a little bit clearer in terms of public health guidance. um, And people just have to take the risk tolerance at that point in terms of being somewhat immune, but not perfectly immune at this point. I have got another question here in a similar vein. Brian Koo wrote, my parents just got their first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. They want to know how soon they'll be able to hang out with their friends who've also received a single (laughs) dose. Uh, He added the hashtag, uh, boomers got the vax. (laughs) So (laughs) did you see that? There was... Did you see that? It was on Saturday Night Live, Boomers Got the Vax. It was like a, a video kind of doing a parody of the fact that boomers were free and, and clear when they got their vaccination. So can people who have each had a single dose hang out with, with other people who have had a single dose? Yeah, I mean, again, you, you see differential risk there. So now both people have decreased risk of bringing it in. Although, again, it's not zero. Both people have decreased risk of complications. It's not zero. You know, I think that type of encounter is still better to be done outside in the, the context we're in. Uh, someone with the Twitter handle at Wistfully Robin asked us this question. If my friends have been vaccinated, but I have not been. Can they still spread the virus to me? That's a key question. I know the data is still Mm -hmm. emerging, but Zane, what do we know so far about how the approved vaccines stop transmission? Yeah, I mean, there's better data emerging that they stop transmission. I mean, I think, you know, we're talking right now with COVID being a problem in Ontario the one population that's been vaccinated heavily is our long-term care population. Today, despite being 2,200 cases in Ontario, there are nine individuals in long-term care with COVID-19 that are residents. And that really is a testament to what these vaccines actually do to transmission. We're seeing Israel, the reproductive value going down despite them opening up society uh, in the context of them having a significant amount of vaccines. And again, really good data here to suggest people are actually blocked from transmission from getting a full dose series. Uh, we had another question about NACI, Canada's National Advisory Committee on Immunization. It said the time between the first and second doses of all three COVID-19 vaccines in Canada should be up to a maximum of four months apart to increase the number of Canadians getting their first dose. And we had a lot of questions about the safety of this, especially with the variant surging in many parts of Canada. Monica J was one of a number of people who wrote asking whether this delay should be reconsidered. So Zane, what do you say to her? Yeah, so AstraZeneca, again, the data, clinical data is actually there from the clinical trials to suggest you should actually push the dose out. And that actually has to do with the mechanism of the vaccine, which is different than our mRNA vaccines. Um, You know, for the mRNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, we're getting better data actually coming out of the United Kingdom that that delayed dose strategy is actually pretty effective. We're actually, you know, a lot of people assume that the immune system you know, after they see that first dose is a bit like a light switch where there's a certain point where the switch turns off. And realistically, it's not there. Like people are, are, are not light switches. When they build an immune response, it tends to get better over time as our immune system gets more trained. And so at least in young, healthy individuals, healthcare workers, some of the emerging data is up to day 80, the immune response actually gets better after getting a first dose of COVID vaccine and starts actually approaching getting a second dose of vaccine. So, you know, it's not perfect, but I would rather take more of the population getting 80 to 90% protection over the population, you know, half of the population getting 90 plus percent protection. 
I think add to that, we are learning now there are some groups where a one-dose strategy isn't perfect. You know, we're seeing uh, a big study in the UK for 80-plus-year-olds where their antibody levels were not great in 80-year-olds. Uh, we're seeing in cancer patients, both with uh, solid cancers and, and hematologic cancers, we're seeing patients with organ transplants and some patients on particular immune suppressing medications where they don't make a great response to the first dose, where they probably need to be circled back to a second dose, you know, within the 42 day window. But even in those studies, when they looked at people who are healthy controls as compared to those individuals, you actually saw huge responses, nearly 100% in many of the groups that were comparators. So again, for the vast majority of the population, getting a first dose gives you good protection that actually gets better over time. It's a good signal that again, this delayed dosing strategy, you, we're not gonna be losing immunity in the end. We're only gonna be gaining it at the end and gaining more people vaccinated. Uh, and I think realistically, we're seeing it in real life. You know, the United Kingdom, although it's coming out of lockdown, um, you know, is seeing a drastic reduction in ICU admissions, deaths and hospitalizations. And in fact, you know, data from yesterday from London proper in the UK, city of nine million, there were zero deaths in London. And, wow. uh, you know, again, that is incredible data to support what a one dose vaccine strategy has done. The variants of concern which are powering the third wave in many parts of Canada were the focus of a number of questions. Sean W. asked, if variants and mutations arise in the future, we may require booster shots, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, if so, then will my choice of vaccine now affect which boosters I can receive in the years to come? That's a really good question. Yeah, it's a really good question. So, you know, one of the things around um, these vaccines is we may receive a different one as our booster, right? And as we start getting the data, particularly around the mixing and matching trials, you know, we may see that, hey, you know, someone gets a better response when they get this vaccine as their second dose as compared to this vaccine as their second dose. Well, Zane, thank you so much for updating us uh, and for speaking in such a calm voice. I feel very reassured every time I, I get to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we were talking about the pandemic starting a year ago, our lives being turned upside down. We're now talking about four vaccines, how to deploy them, how to get them through. You know, this is good times. Yes, there's a little bit of instability now with cases rising, but there is a hope out of all of this, and Israel and the United Kingdom are really showing us that. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. All the best. Dr. Zane Chagla is an associate professor of medicine at McMaster University and an infectious disease specialist for St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton, Ontario. Here's your dose of smart advice. The National Advisory Committee on Immunization, or NACI, said people under the age of 55 should not get the AstraZeneca vaccine. That's because of credible evidence that people under 55, especially women, can get seriously ill with blood clots. The risk is rare, between 1 in 100,000 and 1 in a million vaccinated in that age group. It's still okay to get the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine if you're 55 or older, because older people don't seem to get that side effect. If you're under 55 and got the first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine, those clots tend to occur between 4 and 20 days after the vaccination. Contact your doctor or go to the ER if you get abnormal bruising, a swollen leg, or an unusually severe headache. If you got a first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine and either have to or want to switch vaccines, we don't yet know which is the most effective and safest option. Studies such as one underway in the UK will help answer that question. 
you got the AstraZeneca vaccine recently, there's no hurry to arrange a second vaccine. You have lots of time to wait for an official recommendation because there's good evidence, particularly with the AstraZeneca vaccine, that a longer gap between doses helps with immunity. We know grandparents want to hug their grandchildren. With the third wave of COVID underway, you should wait till you have the second dose. As concerned as we are about that third wave, there are hopeful signs. In London, which has one of the highest COVID vaccination rates in the world, on Monday this week, there were no COVID deaths. That is certainly good news. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Laura Antonelli for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.